0: Welcome to a special edition of the Scholar's Podcast. As you know, normally I would be using an episode to talk to one of the amazing recipients of the Sir John Monash Foundation Scholarships. And I think this year we've spoken to around 15 or so amazingly talented people. But today we have a special guest because it's Anne-Marie Rolls, who is the CEO of the General Sir John Monash Foundation Anne-Marie, a very warm welcome to the program. Thank you, Justin. It's wonderful to have a chance to chat with you. Okay, so tell me, what is it like leading this foundation, which is uh, arguably one of Australia's most prestigious foundations?
1: Well, I have to say it's a, an incredibly inspiring job to have. I, I always say to people, I love my job it's uh it's a job that gives me a sense of great purpose and um and as i said inspiration because i am involved in such a wonderful process of uh being able to enable incredibly talented uh and bright and special australians to pursue their dreams and their goals and and we facilitate them on their path to the next chapter of their life which is ideally to gain Great experience and, and education, and build networks, and then come back to Australia and fix all the wicked problems that we deal with. So, uh, there's change the world, change the world. And, and so, to be able to facilitate that in some ways is really a great privilege. So, it's, it's one that I'm grateful for every day. I never wake up in the morning and think, Oh, God, I have to go to work. I just think, <laughs> Okay, what's on today? What are we going to do today? So, it's, it's, it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful position mm. to be in, and and how long
0: have you been um, the CEO of the foundation? How long have you been involved in it?
1: Ah, uh, very close to four years actually, which is incredible. The time has flown. Uh, so yes, I February in February it will be my my fourth anniversary. So,
0: okay, and and Melbourne's home was certainly home for the foundation. That's the HQ, and you you live in Victoria.
1: Yes, I do. And we have a, a lovely office in the city, in the benlong Foundation building, which is wonderful. And they're generous supporters and give us a lovely space. So uh, it's it's a good base and and it's a good HQ.
0: So how do you describe to people who are not familiar with the foundation, what it actually is that, that the foundation does and offers?
1: Well, primarily our role is to, in the first instance, of course, raise funds to enable us to award mm. the scholarships. Uh, and the next key thing, I suppose, is is that we have to very thoughtfully uh, and, and carefully have a process of selecting, finding uh, the talent that will apply for our scholarship, encouraging them to do so, and then selecting the, the 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 right people who we see will be uh, the best john monash scholars for for the each year that comes along so it's it's a really complex process in many ways because there are many layers and yes. it's a very difficult process because of course as we did this year you have 360 applications and you have only a limited number of scholarships that you can award mm. so we have a very layered process where Applications come in online. Uh, they're reviewed. Each application is reviewed by a minimum of three people who are all experts specifically to okay. the application. Yes, and then we, from those, we do a shorter list of usually usually uh, around, one hundred and eleven or one hundred and ten people who will be interviewed in a first round, uh, with a first round panel, and that those interviews are done in each state. Okay and then from that first round panel we select usually around 40 candidates who then go to a national panel and we hold because of the numbers we hold a national panel over 2 days in sydney and another one over 2 days in melbourne yes. so we bring the scholars in and and they have an interview and each each panel is made up of usually around six people 5 to 7 but usually six people who are all you know eminent australians who are They might be judges or VCs, vice chancellors of universities. They might be lawyers or captains of industry or uh, corporate directors, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, And and they will have many specialties. So there'll be engineers and there'll be arts people. And so we try and have a broad range of, of people who sit on a panel who then Query and discuss with the, with the candidate what their intentions are, what their vision is, and 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 really try and ascertain what's going to come out of the experience for them and how it's going to really impact when they come home to Australia uh, on our own environment, mm. and kind of so change, change makers. Really,
0: I, w- I would imagine that would be an incredibly difficult process to try to select the recipients of the scholarship. So what What are some of the characteristics or some of the things that the people are looking for in those that are eventually successful?
1: Well, the key thing is, obviously, the, the, the first thing that you have to look at is the academic qualifications of the candidate, because you need to make sure that you're going to give a, a scholarship for someone to do postgraduate study and you need to be certain that they have the academic capability to succeed and, and yes. obviously okay. do well so that's yes. that's a basic but by the time they come to interview in the first round even that's that's already ticked off we know that they've got that capability and many of them are university medalists or they they've, they've re- re- always attained very good grades and that sort of thing um and then the next thing really is is to have a a strong sense of the authenticity of the person and what their vision is and what their what their goals are so that we can say this person is really going to be able to have an impact on on the broader community so we're not looking for someone who they might be brilliant but they just want to get the next level degree so that they can Mm. have a successful career uh, Mm. for themselves and we that's wonderful and, and and people should be ambitious, them. and that's yes. great. Yeah. yeah, but ultimately, we we need people who are going to, uh, as John Monash always said, you should you should look for for attaining education in order to give back to your community.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: it, so John Monash was all about giving back to the community and doing things that are going to be for the greater good, not just your own yes. um, pursuits. So we really look for people whose whose study and and, and intention is going to have the most impact um, on on not just Australia, obviously on Australia, but ultimately to me that always means we're having an impact globally because Australia has has a global role and and many of our scholars are having an impact in a global way before they come back home even and after they get home the things that they're doing are going to to make change in the world so whether it's discovering the cure for a for a complex disease or whether it's working out how to make you know sustainable energy that's going to be a benefit to to the planet or whether it's creating great artworks that are going to be enjoyed by people you know across the world so but ultimately we want to we want to be uh, a successful nation and we look to these young people um, to be our leaders in the future. And, and they might be leading on governance and, and policy, government policy, um, or as engineers or lawyers or artists, med- medical researchers. So we, we really look for a broad spread to address all okay. the wicked problems, as we call them. And
0: and whereabouts uh, do they like to study? Obviously, one of the criteria is it must be at a university overseas. But where um, where are some of the institutions over the years have people chosen to do their studies?
1: Well, obviously, you know Oxford and Cambridge and and Harvard and MIT and Columbia, the, those sorts of the Ivy League and the Oxford universities have always been very yeah. popular. Yes, because they're they offer some of the best um, opportunities in terms of the, the, the people that teach at those institutions and, yeah. the, and the networks that you develop. But there are many other great universities around the world, and we, we do encourage our scholars to go to the university that is, is the best place for their particular discipline. So there might be a, a, a researcher who's one of our scholars could work with at Uppsala in Sweden, for example, or they might be somebody at Science Po in Paris um, or Utrecht yes. University. And so it's obviously the institutions that our scholars apply for are, are leading institutions in, in the various countries. But it is often about the, the people that are there and the particular discipline or research project that they're working on. And so it's about finding those people. Um, and often they have already made contact and uh, and so they'll seek to go to university to work with a particular professor uh, who's going to give them the best opportunity mm. to develop mm. their own idea and theories and those sorts of things. But, you know, and, and we, we do encourage them to, to think broadly um, about where they go. And so we do have a variety of universities and this year in particular, you know, there, there's some very different schools that people are going to um, because that that university is, is the expert in the particular right. field. Yeah. Yeah.
0: best suited to them. Yeah, yeah. And so how, how long has the uh, scholarship been going
1: for now? Well, it, the foundation was established in 2001 um, and really up and running 2002. The first scholarships were awarded in 2003 uh, mm. and that means that the, those scholars that were awarded in 2003 began their study in 2004. So we've had scholars... Out there studying on the John Monash Scholarship since two
0: thousand and four. And are there any um, equivalent scholarships overseas that are that are similar to um, to the John Monash scholarships?
1: Well, it's an interesting question, Justin, because there are obviously many, (coughs) excuse me, many prestigious scholarships like the Rhodes and the and the Fulbright and and various others, but they tend to have more restrictions than ours. So I think we're unique in that we're very, very broad. We have no age limit. We have no restriction on which country you study. And so, for example, Fulbright is about exchange between Australia and the US. So so US is where the scholars have to study. Okay. Or Rhodes, you have to go to Oxford. So if you wanted to study somewhere else, you don't apply for a Rhodes. Hmm. And there are obviously other scholarships around, but I think we are very unique in in that we have no restriction on what you study, where you study, uh, how old you are, Um, and we really do look for diversity in disciplines. So we really look to have a good uh, spread of of scholars who are studying in a number of different areas because we believe that, that to lead and to make change, we have to address many things across our society. And so that that involves law and policy, it involves scientific research, medical research, engineering, innovation that, that can impact in lots of different areas, and then obviously the arts. So if we don't have music and, and visual art and theatrics and filmmaking, who's telling the stories about who we are as a society? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's why we really value that as well. And it also reflects in many ways, so many things about John Monash, who was both an engineer and a lawyer and a military leader and a, a musician himself. So... It, a man of many talents. A man of many talents. So, yes, we do we do look for, for that to be reflected in our scholars. And actually, one of the exciting things about so many of our talented scholars is you might have an engineer who is also a concert-level pianist, or many of them sing, play instruments, uh, we have a, a wonderful scholar, uh, Ali McCarthy, who's a who's actually a biologist, and she does I've super interviewed Ali. Yes, yeah. that's right. So you know, so they have lots of hidden talents, and some of them are not so hidden. But uh, but they they're, they're polymaths in many ways, like John Monash was. So there, there's a level of reflection of of what he represented as a as a person with many many skills.
0: Tell me who gets to make the phone call to. The lucky handful who get the scholarships.
1: Well, I share that with our director of alumni and scholarships, Alexander. Yeah. Gray. Uh, we 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 divide up the, what we call the, uh, the the difficult calls and the really happy calls. I call it the agony and the ecstasy. So we <laughs> share the load. I could imagine it would be <laughs> like that. It's very very exciting, and it's also heartbreaking. So, it's, mm. but we do share we do share the the privilege of. Of making the calls, and we'll we'll generally make the call to somebody we've had perhaps extra contact with. So if mm. I've had a lot of interaction with a particular person, I'll say, "Look, I'll call call that one, and you you call that one." So we share it. We share it, but it's a and very what, what is that? What is that? Pro,
0: what is that process like? I imagine that would. <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like.
1: Well, it isn't. It, it's an incredibly uh, exciting thing to be able to do. Um, particularly because you really are changing people's lives. Um, and we try and be sensitive about the time of day and, you know, so, so don't call someone before they've got to run to work or um, or when they, you know, haven't. We don't mind waking them up early with that kind of call, though, I must say. <laughs> yes, I imagine. Um, I think you're right. And uh, but we try and get back to them as quickly as we possibly can because, of course, everybody's on the edge of their seat waiting to and- hear whether they've been successful.
0: Have you ever had a situation where someone has got really close but for whatever reason was knocked back and then they applied
1: again and they got in? Yes, often. So often somebody will just miss out and sometimes it's simply because we don't have enough years to award. I mean, most people that come to a national interview are eminently uh, awardable, for, yes. for want of a better way of putting it, yes. um, they certainly qualify. But we just don't have enough scholarship years to give all the scholarships we'd like to give, mm. um, and it does depend, you know, on the very, you know, it's, look, it's a very fine line at the pointy end of it all, um, and we, and there are some people who we think should become a John Monash Scholar, but they're perhaps not quite ready. Uh, or their project needs to be developed further, their their, in, their intentions and their their goals, and so we'll work closely with them, and they'll encourage them. To, we'll encourage them to come back the next year, and very often they're successful the second time. And they often say it was really great to have that year, and having had the experience of the first interview um, and learning a lot from that about how they need to refine their thinking, perhaps think differently about where they might go, various other factors. And sometimes they just have had another year of experience doing what mm, they're doing now to formulate yeah. a clearer vision of what they'd like to do next. Uh, so, so often people have done applied once or twice before, and then they're successful.
0: Obviously, over the period of time that the scholarships have been awarded and running, uh, there would have been a lot of very interesting people come through the door and complete their studies. Are there any uh, that come to mind about some of the amazing talent uh, that um, is on display as a result of what they've studied and what they've gone on to do?
1: Look, Justin, there are so many, uh, yeah. so many of them. But speaking from my own experience, in yes. my studies, in the in my first year in this role, uh, we had a scholar Garang Dot who. Uh, in fact, I, I joined after selection had been done, but I, this was the first group of scholars I met and was involved in their presentation ceremony. And Garang was such an inspiring story and it's always stayed with me as a, as a young fellow that came to Australia as a refugee from South Sudan, um, coming mm. from a dreadful situation, came to Australia, was assisted uh, to get through high school, by Western Chances, who then also supported him to do his undergraduate degree at Melbourne University. Clearly, he was very bright and, and very talented. And he went on to do medicine and then was awarded our scholarship to go and study it. He did a two-year degree at Harvard um, as a John uh, a John Monash scholar um, supported by the Ross Siegel Scholarship. And he, he just blew my mind because when he talked to Garang about what, the situation he came from and as a refugee in Australia, missed many years of school, managed to catch up all those years and learn a new language and settle in a new country and put aside the trauma he'd been through to be so successful and to become uh, a a medical doctor, a surgeon, and then to go on to to do the postgraduate study. And then, in fact, he's gone on um, to do further a phd at, at oxford i it just wow. it just amazed me because his story was was such an inspiring example of how education can change people's lives mm-hmm. and i i find it i just find his his journey so inspiring and his and what inspired him to do what he did was that he wanted to be able to Take better care of people who needed medical help in less than ideal situations, not in a fancy, glamorous hospital, but to have the skills to go and perform surgery in a in a in a tent in the desert if he had to. Do you know that kind yes, of
0: yeah, yeah?
1: In, coming, from, you know, taking a dreadful experience and using it as an inspiration to make a difference in the world, and and the most humble and and delightful person. I just found, find, you know, I, I, I often think back on him as being a great example of what can happen and the privilege for us to be part of his journey um, and to be able to facilitate a, a, at least a, a, a chapter of it, was is, is something really special. And there are many, many scholars like that who, mm. um, they, there's a perception often that someone who wins a prestigious scholarship has come from a privileged background and that's absolutely not the case. We have many, many scholars who are, um, first generation to finish high school or go to university and beyond they're, they're people who've come you know because they 're smart and talented and have dreamed big and have worked really really hard and have been supported by by loving family or not and just yeah. found their way through you know and I, and there are you know there are many incredible stories like that, so it is a privilege for us and our supporters to be part of facilitating those journeys because these are the people that that create so much substance in our community so the
0: foundation is a not for profit so you are relying on the generosity of your supporters and sponsors how, how are you funded how um, and, and what is that process like give us give us some insight into into that part of the foundation
1: well we we have a real range of supporters we're very fortunate to have had well, in the very beginning, Commonwealth Government um, put money into to get the foundation okay. up and running, okay. and subsequently we've had very generous support um, for perpetual scholarships from from the Government, from state governments, the Victorian Government, New south Wales. We have also a number of supporters that are collective supporters in a sense, so we have Chairman Circle members who commit to giving us ten thousand dollars a year for five years. And that money collectively funds one or two scholarships every year. We have great support from the universities. We have twenty uh, universities who are members of our universities consortia, and they commit funding each year. So over five years, and and generally renew. We hope they do. Um, and that that money again collectively funds a couple of scholarships a year. So that's another collective fund mm. in a sense. And then we have some very generous perpetual. Uh, scholarship supporters, so the Lee Lieberman Foundation, Gillian Siegel, our chair, and, and John Roth, her husband, supporter of perpetual scholarship, Michael and Helen Gannon. So we have private uh, supporters in that way who are generous yes. philanthropists. Yes. And those perpetual scholarships are incredibly important because they do secure your long-term future. Um, so that's very important. Um, And then we have other supporters, alumni ambassadors, we call them, who give us amount of money each year over a period of years. And that's incredibly important funding for not specifically for a scholarship, but to support all the things that we do around our alumni community. So um, John Monash Scholars, we have our symposiums. We we do a lot of work around supporting a strong sense of family. So we we do things that bring scholars together in each location around the world and so so those th- that support is incredibly important because support for operations is always difficult to get in, in for, for any not-for-profit organization because obviously the core of the funding is to go to the cause whether it's for yes a, a scholarship yes. or um so so funds for operation are incredibly important um and so so we really value that kind of contribution as well so we're very lucky um, to have a, a spread. And then our corporate supporters are also very valuable, not just because they commit to funding a number of scholarships over a period of time. They also have uh, important connection for our scholars. You know, many many scholars will work in those organisations. They might come back and have opportunities. And they're a way for uh, corporates to identify great talent that they might want to tap into in the future as well and they really keep us engaged with what's happening in business and it's incredibly important because then we're we we can say we can see that business needs these kinds of people and these kinds of skills and so it's a way of encouraging scholars or applicants to say look we need people who who can who are entrepreneurs who are, who are innovators who are going to come up with the Ideas, because obviously it's the operations of, of, of business in Australia that that keep the wheels turning, so mm-hmm. um, and 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 help keep our GDP in good shape. So, so there's a really important relationship there. It's not just about highbrow academics; it's about nuts and bolts of how we keep our economy moving and how we innovate for the future. Uh, and, that's and do very, you um part of
0: it. have you brought on any <clears throat> new
1: scholarships at all? Well, we've we've actually been incredibly lucky during this difficult time of of COVID yes. to have been gifted uh, three three year scholarships from the Judith Nielsen Foundation, which is uh, which has been an incredible uh, bonus for us because those are those three scholarships of three years are obviously worth a lot of money, but they also enabled us to award some very unique scholarships um, and to open up. I guess it's partly the kind of scholarships you offer with, which have a particular intent really encourage people to apply from, from areas where they might not have thought they could, could apply or that they would qualify. And so we worked with Judith Nielsen and, and her team to, to look at some very interesting areas of focus. So we have one was around sustainable futures, one was around social innovation and cohesion And the other one was a cross-sectoral scholarship to really support research and cross-sectoral collaborations to address things like, you know, society, energy, scientific innovations. So it's really exciting to have had that that new focus um, and something that really, I think, has encouraged applications from very talented people that might not have otherwise applied.
0: Tell me, what were you doing before you landed the role of CEO of the foundation?
1: Well, prior to this, I was running an organisation called Schools Connect Australia, which began its okay. life as a business working uh, with education foundation. And this was an initiative actually uh, funded by the Victorian government, which was a brilliant idea with in terms of saying how can we get corporates to engage with disadvantaged schools to help them on their journey to to operate and function better and to support those schools that often don't have the extra funds for the extracurricular for the extra things that that perhaps the private schools have mm-hmm. and it was a great idea but it it, it when i when i joined it, it was only a year old and and in a way was still in a design, design startup phase so we actually um we did. We did adapt a program that we licensed the IP from the UK, and it was a, it was called Business Class, and it was about how to establish long term relationships between a business and a school, so that they could develop and address the challenges of a, of a school, whether it was you know, how the school runs, how to manage the finances, how to Give kids a real life experience and inspire them to look at you know how to make meaningful work experience those sorts of things um, and and so it was working with the governance of the school as well as the actual curriculum and then and then how to encourage kids to look at what their careers might look like and so you know it was a it was a it was a really interesting journey and we we developed business class and some great relationships with with supporting businesses in a number of disadvantaged schools and those relationships were established with with a long-term approach and and went really well but after about by the time we were entering into our fourth year we were really ready to go to scale nationally we had we had partnerships happening in Victoria in a number of locations and we were ready to launch into Western Australia and New South Wales and I realized that there were there was a lot we were stretching small amount of money in and going very broad so what became obvious to me was that it would make sense for us to actually merge with another organisation that had already established, you know, established offices and staff around the country. Um, And so it made sense to say, look, if we merge, we can capitalise on the relationships we've built and what we've got ready to go and the fact that they have infrastructure and experience that they can keep running the programme. So we actually merged with ABCN. And that was that was a really uh, very positive and successful merger, um, mm. but it meant that I didn't have a job anymore. So I came up with a great I came up with a great idea that that uh, you merged yourself out of a job. I merged myself out of a job. Um, so so then, but I, I it was my first uh, CEO role. So I yes. learned a, a yes. lot. Yep. I was very fortunate to have a wonderful board. Uh, very supportive board and, and Michael Ulmer, who was the chair of the board, was a great mentor to me in, in, in learning what it meant to actually be a CEO and how do you work with the board and what the governance looks yes, like. All, um, the things that
0: go with that. all those mm. important
1: things. So yeah. I was very, very fortunate to have that experience. Um, and it and it it set me up really to to take on this role. To so
0: take on this role. Now, <laughs> now speaking of uh, of university degrees, am I right in saying you're uh, undergraduate degree was in English literature?
1: Yes, I was an uh, English literature major. I went to a, a, the College of Charleston in South Carolina, which was quite a bizarre really? my yeah, Actually, my, wow. first, my first degree was a was a, community, a, a certificate in community development that I did at the University of the South Pacific um, <laughs> because there wasn't a lot of choice about what I could do at the University of the South Pacific, but I thought it was time to to start studying mm-hmm. and um and then I went to to the US and did my my undergraduate liter, literature degree which was actually a liberal arts degree so it was very exciting I I was able to take many subjects across uh, a whole lot of areas I did music and sculpture and history and astronomy and uh philosophy and all those things. Yes. All those things, but majored in, in English literature. And um and then when I came back to Australia I actually did a master's in communications at Monash University. I see. Um, which was good. And then followed that with a graduate diploma in education and training at Victoria University, because I had all these all this academic wonderfully exciting learning, but I d- didn't think any of it was madly practical. And I thought <laughs> I, I'm not sure how how I'm going to get a real job, so um, I did the education training, and that was actually a wonderful experience because that was the first time I worked in 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 this in, in this not for profit space in a sense. So I actually worked on a pre employment program for long term unemployed young people, and I think that was where I realised that that's what I needed to be doing, um, Fantastic. helping helping people on that journey.
0: Now, what, what about outside of the foundation? How do you like to spend your spare time? Have you got any interesting hobbies you can tell us about?
1: Well, the thing I love doing um, in terms of a hobby the most, I think, is probably playing on the pottery wheel. I, I did sculpture at university yes, in the okay. US and um, d- discovered a well, lot of about forty-seven
0: thousand ashtrays <laughs>
1: <laughs> we don't make those anymore but you know, i do have i do have one little sculpture that i still have from that time most of it was mm. given away and, or dumped when i left the country yeah. but i um i thought i'd always wanted to to throw on a wheel and see how that worked and so when i had a bit of space between my uh my previous role in this one I, I was gifted a pottery wheel by my family and, um, and started learning how to, how to throw pots. And that's been really, really a, a fun thing. So I have a wheel and um, that's what I do when I can make the time and it's a lovely way to – it's a very meditative experience and you get to shut out everything else that's going on and focus on how you're going to make that clay do what you want it to do, which is harder than it sounds. <laughs> it doesn't always behave. I've looked hard um, on the ghost. Yeah, yeah, I don't, don't. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. That's funny. That's funny mm. remembering that film. Mm. But it's uh it's very it's very satisfying um and uh and I've got a long way to go. I'm still very much a beginner, but I do love doing it.
0: Well Anne Marie, it's been an absolute pleasure uh catching up with you today. Uh it's been wonderful to hear about the foundation and its journey from beginning to where it is now, heading into 2021. So we wish you all the very best for the holidays and the new year, and we will follow the uh, progress of the Foundation with much interest in the new year. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Scholars Podcast today.
1: Thank you, Justin, and I look forward to sharing the exciting future of all our scholars with you all as we go along. Thank you. All right.